it's a lot of work up front, not for one property we have to repeat every time. We put all these systems in place. And part of the reason that it's different from a retail sale is that they don't have the same structure. Welcome to the Get Real Podcast. Your high-octane boost of full-on reality therapy for personal, business, and investing success with your host, Ron Phillips, because somebody's got to tell it like it is. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Get Real Podcast. Ron Phillips here with Heather Marchant. Hello, everyone. We're going to talk about something that came from a listener. Mm-hmm. And actually, we get this question a lot or concern or whatever the case may be. If you're new to the show, we talk about real estate a lot here, but we talk about business and life, how all three of those things intersect. And we give you the good, the bad, and the ugly. And that's what we're going to do about today. We're going to talk about primary versus rental, what the differences are, because naturally, Heather, I think everybody assumes a real estate transaction is a real estate transaction is a real estate transaction. And that's just not necessarily the case. No. There's a lot of differences. And I think for people who come and are buying their first investment property, it's really confusing for them. And I'm kind of surprised we've never thought to talk about this before because this comes up pretty often for new investors, right? Once you've bought one investment property, it usually kind of clicks and you understand what you're doing and what the differences are. But there are quite a few things to watch for and expect, I guess, in a rental purchase versus a primary residence purchase. Yeah. And I think I think back, uh, one of the things that my wife told me one time we were looking for our own house, we would walk into houses and I would start to pick them apart and I would start to tell them, I'd start to negotiate hard and all this stuff. She's <laughs> like, Ron, this is not a deal. This is our house. She said and if that? We, if we like it, then That's we awesome. need to stop trying to make a deal and just buy the house. This is different than all your other stuff. Yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> and she's right. So first off, I would just state for any of you out there who are real estate investors, when you're shopping for your own house, I mean, you can back it off a little. You don't have to be like Mr. or Mrs. Aggressive negotiator. I'm not saying you mm-hmm. shouldn't negotiate. I'm just saying it's the house It's an emotional decision. You're looking for a house because you love it and you want to live in it. You want to raise your family there and you can see the cute Mm -hmm. little dog running around the backyard and everybody swimming in the pool or whatever (laughs) the case may be, right? It's like a romantic kind of purchase. It kind of gets in you. And then if you screw that up with a whole bunch of hard-nosed negotiation, especially in today's market where it literally won't work, you just end up losing something that you can become emotionally attached to that really would have been great for your family. And yeah, it's hard to get that kind of out of your system, Heather. I mean, I'm just, it took me a little while. It took me a first couple of houses to get that out of my system. And, and I also see income everywhere, right? So we have this house, you've been to my house, this frog that we have, which is for all of you who are not from South Carolina, I'm not <laughs> sure where frog where else frog is, but South Carolina, that's a finished room over the garage. And I'm like, that's an Airbnb. I mean, that's like a rental property. Mm. That's you put a bedroom or two up there with a bath and a kitchen. And that is money. And yeah, my wife brings me back to my senses and is Ron, this is our house. I don't want people. I don't know that close to us. (laughs) 
And I'm like, yeah, you're right. You're right. I don't know what I'm thinking. I don't know what I'm thinking. But that part of me, I have to literally turn it off in order to go shop for a house for us. Um, Yeah. I I mean, one thing I would say too, Ron, is that you hire an agent like every time, even though you're licensed and you could wheel and deal and kind of work that angle, you usually don't, which is pretty interesting. And it's because that's not what I do. I don't go shop for retail houses all the time. In addition, when I list my house, I could do the same thing. I could list it. I know how to sell houses, but I don't, I don't sell houses retail. And so I'm not good at that. So I hire somebody who's really, really good at it in my local area. And my gosh, that makes things easier for a couple of reasons. Not the least of which is that they can bring me to my senses about what the market really will bear. When I actually Mm -hmm. go into negotiation mode, they can tell me, Ron, that's a stupid offer. You're just going to (laughs) piss somebody off if you make that offer. (laughs) These are not, I'm not negotiating with another commercial agent or owner that owns a lot of properties and doesn't get their feelings hurt when you offer them $200,000 less on their house. That's not where you're at, right? This is a homeowner who loves the house and they're emotionally attached to it. And you're basically telling their baby's ugly. So you, you can't do that. And the same thing, they can come through and pick my house apart. Tell me what I need to do to make it sellable because you living in your house is not sellable. It just isn't. You have to create perfect house, which nobody lives in. And Mm -hmm. when you do that, anyway, I'm getting off on a tangent, but I do. I hire professionals for everything, actually. (laughs) It serves me well. Yeah, it's something I've learned from you, actually, because I have a tendency to just my natural inclination would be, oh, I can save all that money, right? Versus I just barely was talking with my husband about potentially listing our house. And just two nights ago, and I said, well, Ron's agent that I now know really well that sold his house here in Utah, I should call her and look at having her list, like come over and make some recommendations before we even look into listing it. So like I said, my normal tendency is Oh man, look at all that money I'm leaving on the table. DIY, but I know that, yeah, I know, right? Um, and you mentioned something else too, and that is the inspections mindset. So there is a reason why when I have family and friends that ask me, because I have a license here in Utah where I live, and I don't really use it because I don't enjoy retail transactions. They're very different than investment property transactions. I'm not have number one, I'm not having to drive people around on the Saturdays, right? And I don't drive a fancy car. Ron drives fancy cars. I don't really drive a fancy car. So I feel like I would need to have like live that in order to show you're a successful real estate agent, you've got to drive the <laughs> super expensive car. And I, I that's just not who I am either. But it's the inspections and it's the I don't like this paint color and these shutters aren't my favorite and I don't like the direction the house is facing. Whereas with investment property, man, it's just so simple. So yeah, simple. I love cares it. About any of that. it's, <laughs> that's because it's not an emotional purchase. Yes. And I only did that one time, Heather. I can tell you that, I mean, and it was a friend of mine and by about the eighth house, three of them <laughs> yeah. being exactly what he wanted and in his price range, I'm like, I'm sorry, why are we not making an offer on a house? <laughs> I just want to make sure I don't miss anything, man. Screw that. You just told me that last house was perfect. Why are we driving to another house? I have no patience for this. Let's make an offer on that one. I'm the worst realtor ever for retail properties. So let's talk a little bit about 
the differences from our buyer's side, right? Because we yeah. have, we have a lot of clients who come in first time. They're used to the transactions we were just talking about where mm -hmm. anything on the inspection report is like the biggest deal ever. I mean, it's like almost a deal killer. If there's a paint chip, the house yeah. has to be perfect because they're going to live in it, which makes sense to me. Yep. Little different in the entire process, but one of them, one of them is the inspection, right? I mean, yeah. The most important things on the inspection report isn't the color of the paint, all of the, I guess, all of the things that people would normally go in and look in for a house. And then the afterthoughts are all of the major mechanicals where in investment properties, it's completely the opposite of that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's so true. <laughs> all I really care about is are the major mechanicals going to break because yeah. I don't care what the paint color is. If there's a tenant in there, they obviously like the paint color. It's fine. I, I can paint it later. Um, mm -hmm. But if the HVAC breaks, that's a problem. That's going to eat yep. into my cash flow, right? Big so, ticket prices. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think on the inspections, we're looking for things that are just entirely different than not necessarily because you look for that when it's your own house too. I think just looking at it a little bit differently because it's, again, it's not that emotional purchase. Mm -hmm. It's just an asset that's going to go make money. That's it. Right. Yeah, exactly. I think it's really helpful for our clients. When I go through an inspection report with them, I have to remind them of that. Like you are not living here. That's probably almost on every phone call. This isn't your house. So if you don't like how the kitchen's laid out or whatever, it doesn't necessarily matter. As long as the property manager says that is a great property, it's going to be marketed and rented at this amount, doesn't really matter too much. So it's hard sometimes for clients to take a step back and say, well, I wouldn't want to live in this house, right? When there's a lot, I mean, I had just this last time I had a client last week. I mean, I had a client that had no dishwasher in the house and they said, oh my gosh, no dishwasher. Who's going to want to rent that? Yeah. And I Who said, it's like that. <laughs> I said, I lived in a rental house for six years with no dishwasher. And it's because the price was where I needed it to be. And it was in the location I needed it to be in. So I paid rent there and I was happy there for obviously a long time when my husband and I were first married. So, and that's what I said in an email back to him. I said, look, there are people that live without dishwashers. I know that seems totally crazy, but it happens. Yeah. There's, <laughs> and sometimes I look at apartment buildings and I look at them and I'm like, there's no washers and dryers in here. Who would live here? Yeah. Things full, by the way, things full, <laughs> it's, it's packed with people. Yeah. Uh, who would live there? All the people who are living there would live mm -hmm. there. And I do think that as we move on in life, sometimes we forget how life was when we originally started awesome. life, right? That's a very good I mean, point. we really do because I do all the time, you know, I'll, I'll walk into a place like that and I'm like, oh, and I look at places all the time. I'm like, and can't we squeeze a washer dryer in here? How do you put a washer dryer in here for these people? Like, yeah, like they've got to go and somebody's built a facility out back. You got to carry all your crap out back. Who does that? And the <laughs> yeah. place is packed. So it's a completely different mentality, right? Yep. Who does that are the people who need that price point and that they're location willing to, sometimes they're willing yeah. to traipse across the property to go wash their clothes. And there are people like that, right? And I'll just state for the record, that's better than any third world country I've been in. So while we want to talk about how horrible maybe somebody has it here in America, everybody's got it way better than everywhere else in the world. So good point. There's some other really big differences other than just the inspection report and the inspection process 
I mean, one of the main ones that I think people have a question about all of the time is the loan. Yep. That's what I was going to say. Loan products are different for investment loans. I mean, like the whole, the whole process feels different. It feels like they need more DNA than normal, more blood samples. They got to pull hair fibers out. I mean, investment properties are really, they're just not as easy to get as primary residents. In addition to that, for whatever reason, the, all of the secondary market has decided that they're more risky than primary. And I would suggest that that's not the case, but they don't really listen to me. So since they're more risky, well, the interest rates are higher and the mm-hmm. loan terms are completely different. And man, they need a really, whole lot more stuff. Yeah. They're I mean, just really sticklers about everything. Yeah. And you know? right now with COVID, I mean, I'm closing on a property next week, finally. And I couldn't believe, I mean, they asked me for all this documentation on my business and I had to sign everything. And I got a loan last year and I didn't have to do all this stuff because some of well, these things I didn't, hadn't generated before. So. Yeah. I mean, I told you this year in February, we closed our prop, our, our apartment building and Freddie Mac held back $125,000 for COVID. Oh, that's right. Yes. Yes. I, was, I mean, we were shocked. Like, I mean, I'm, that's never happened before. This is a new line item. And then the, here we are, I don't know, eight months later, almost. <laughs> mm-hmm. But we call back in, we're like, the property's operating better than it was. Like our income is up, not down. Our collections are up, not down. Can we get our money? Ooh, yeah, that's not the policy. I mean, it's just like trapped there. Really? (laughs) There's no rule. I mean, this has to be trapped there for a little over a year until they decide that your property is okay, apparently. It's the most bizarre thing. But if I want a Freddie Mac loan, guess what? I put $125,000 in there. I mean, that's just... (laughs) So You don't have a lot of option. I mean, if you don't want to get a loan, I had just in the last six months, I bet I've had three or four clients just lash out in frustration. And I can't entirely blame them because I've been frustrated this last week with all the documentation required, but they said, mm-hmm. I make more money. I could pay off this thing in a year and I am a high income earner. And I don't understand why you need all of this stuff for such yep. a small loan. They've said that I can't even count. Actually, it's been a lot of times. I, it but, doesn't even make any difference if you have, nope. if the property is a hundred thousand dollars and you have half a million dollars sitting in the bank, it does not no. matter. Nothing changes. You yep. are still going to get a body cavity search, DNA, <laughs> everything, all of it. You're getting all of it. And if you want a 4% or 4.5% rate for 30 years, and it's a Fannie Mae deal, that's just the way it is. There's nothing you can do about it. So, yeah. I mean, it's a little easier if you're going to move into the house and you're going to get at least. right now better on your rate. Yeah. And you're not going to have to put as much down. I mean, they just love on you as a primary residence person. They just love on you way more. Well, Um, and it's logical though, because you're living in that house. You do not want to go into foreclosure because you live there. So you're going to make your house payment. Whereas if you have someone else living in another property out of state, like from a bank's perspective, if you were in a hard time for whatever reason, you're going to pay your house payment and forego the investment loan payment, right? I mean, that's just logic and they know it. So And it, and it, that actually was proven in 2008. So yep. they do have some ground to stand on and it doesn't really make any difference what you think about it anyway. So if you want yeah. the loan, that's the way it works. 
when you send them something, don't get frustrated when they have five more questions about the thing you sent in, whatever it is. That's yeah. just the way it's going to be, guys. Okay. It's, it's really frustrating, but solid debt fixed for 30 years at historically low interest rates is worth the pain, in my opinion. It just, I, mean, I totally just agree. So. Totally agree. I think one thing else, one thing, other thing to highlight, I guess, from the lender's perspective, they're also needing usually to resell this note. So they have to have all the stuff, everything lined up in a file that they can then turn over and sell to another on the secondary markets. So if you have all, if you don't, if you're missing that one piece of paper, that one annoying thing, it makes yep. it sometimes so they can't resell that note and it's a big problem for them. So, yeah. And a lot of these people, they close with their own lines. And if they screw the loan up because they didn't ask you for something, it just sits there on their books, yep. which means they can't use that money to close the loans that they're going to sell on the secondary market. Exactly. And it really, really jams them up. And yep. if they have to buy a loan back because they didn't do something right, that's even worse, mm -hmm. right? Because they've already moved the loan off their books and loaded up all of their money with new closings. And then they have to buy something back, especially if it's a large loan. I mean, think about it. Some of the loans that we do on, on these, on fourplexes and things are half a million to $700,000. That's a big deal. If you got to buy that loan back. So exactly. it's important that they do all of the stuff up front so that you don't, so that we're not trying to come back and get stuff after the fact. Yeah. And it's a pain. It's a lot. It just is. And if you're a business owner and if you're a multiple business owner, and if you're multiple property owner, that much worse. It should make it easier that you have more money and more assets, but I'm telling you, it does not. It does not make it easier. Yeah, yeah. I agree. And I, I think that it's in, in a lot of ways, I'm like realizing this conversation is a lot of a mindset thing, right? In the inspections, in the loan, and how you view the property from the aesthetics of the property, right? So a lot of it is just a mindset thing, which is probably why we had someone ask us to talk about this. Because yeah. And I mean, it, it's, and it's not just from the buyer side. So when we approach a new seller, it's, I'm just for, for all of you out there who are clients who are buyers, <laughs> you need to understand that it's kind of the same for them when we're setting them up because mm -hmm we have all of these systems and processes and things that we require them to do. And I remember I was just talking the other day to somebody, we had talked about this and they're like, man, that doesn't work for me. That's so, that's such a pain. Yeah. And they had been used to selling their properties themselves, owner financing, just creative stuff. <laughs> well, they, she just was trying to sell her stuff on uh, as a uh, retail. And she goes, this is worse. Yeah. <laughs> these agents, they tie up your property and then they yeah. have all these escape clauses and the people just <laughs> leave and they walk away with the earnest money and nothing happens. And here I am, we're supposed to close and it didn't close and they always have an excuse. And I'm like, I said, I'm just like, believe me, I get it. I completely understand. And you know what I said right after that? What? That's why we have all of these structure that we put. In yeah. yeah. Because when somebody actually says they want to buy a property, they actually want to buy the property yes. and they actually will close. And I mean, 99 point whatever percent of the time they close, but it's because of all the things we do up front. So from the seller side, it's a lot of work up front, but it's a lot of work up front, not for one property. We have to repeat every time 
we've put all these systems in place. And part of the reason that it's different from a retail sale is that retail sales, they don't have the same structure. Yeah. It's kind of like a wild, wild West. I mean, I go through this all the time. I'm selling a bunch of uh, townhomes right now and I get these crazy, stupid offers. And then I'll, then I have to do the stupid counter offer, counter offer, offer, counter offer thing over and over and over again. And we're fighting over the dumbest stuff. And the buyers have no idea that I have more of these, right? So I can't lower the price what they want me to because it screws up my comps. So then I can't yeah. sell the other ones. They just have no clue about any of this stuff. And to make matters worse, most of the realtors don't have any clue either. And they don't understand. So retail sales are really, really frustrating, mm-hmm. uh, I think, for everybody. Even the most experienced realtors struggle with the same stuff. Yeah. Buyers and yeah. sellers they have a hard time coming to terms because they're both emotional. Yeah. So, and you've had lots of experience setting up sellers. It's, yeah. we have this structure in place, Heather. And I think up front, it feels a little bit like getting a loan. It's a little invasive. <laughs> That's so true. Yeah. Right. Yep. And then they're like, man, this is so great. And they refer other people to us because like one example that one seller in Alabama, he said to me, well, we prefer working with you guys because we have to pay all of the buyer's closing costs in our market. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, it is just understood and standard that you pay all of the buyer's closing costs. And they're usually a different loan product. And so he said, it's usually about $5,000 that they're paying on every single deal. And then sometimes they'll say, Hey, we took a retail buyer on this property, Heather. And they come back to me like a six weeks later, because that buyer backed out and they just tied up the property. So they've ended up going, yeah, this doesn't work. (laughs) It's not, (laughs) it's not predictable at all. And building a business model around it is, is really, really difficult. And so when we go in, we set some things up. There's a structure in a timeline to how everything has to go, right? So the inspection and it has to be done. And then they have to, they have to repair everything that's on the summary page of the inspection report. That way we don't have to do offer counter offer crap, right? When you go in, this is the price, the numbers work this, when the inspection comes in, you're going to fix everything on the summary page that's already given, right? You're going to pay for the home warranty. We're not going to negotiate about that. It's already negotiated. Like this stuff is just done, right? So when I guess, quote, the offer is made, the offer is the offer, right? So we don't, we're not going to go in and and do all the negotiations from California or wherever you live with, with the seller in, you know, wherever they live, we're not going to do that stuff because, you know, we're trying to do a lot of these. We can't do that without some kind of a system. And it, it drives me nuts like it does you, the retail side of this. And so when we get somebody who comes in that's new, who's used to the retail side, this offer counter offer nonsense yes. and getting nonsense. to state whatever terms they want for like, I'm just like, no, 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 no. That's timeout, timeout. That's not how this works. And then they get their offer from the bank and the bank is like, yeah, your, your rate's going to be four and a quarter. And they're like, what? I can get a three and a quarter rate. Well, no, no, you really really can't. It's not, doesn't work that way. Right. Yep. And I think helping people set expectations, I think mentally upfront, really, this is a way easier process, even with the craziness with the loan. 
Yeah, I agree. I mean, and it, it's a, again, a mindset thing. Cause I worked with a seller just this morning on a development of about a dozen single families. And I went through the numbers and he gave me his bottom line. Like Heather, this is what I need to make. Cause after a while they trust us like that. Right. So we don't have to do the back and forth because they say, this is what I need to make on the properties to satisfy my numbers. And so I say, okay, well, let's work work or they don't. Yeah. I just work backwards from there. And then I said, Hey, we have a little extra room. So let's add in closing costs for the buyer, improve the performance. So that was just this morning that I went, Hey, I think we can make this even better for the buyer and everybody wins. Right. Which is a lot of the ways we try to negotiate these deals, but we also have the advantage that we get the bottom line. I don't know how many people have that advantage nationwide trying to buy a house when you're just guessing, like, what do you think they're going to accept? What's the dumbest thing in the world anyway? I hate the game. I'm playing it right now with the properties. We just talked about a couple of weeks and I'm selling these properties, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's the same thing. I have to mark the price up like an absurd amount And then I get people to come in and then I have to get the highest and best from all the people. And then after I get the highest and best, then they're going to come in and then I know they're going to retrade me because they're going to go to the property and they're going to be like, well, this is wrong and this is wrong. So we got to retrade you again. And I have to start at such a stupid number that by the time we get done with the retrades, it's a number that's acceptable to me. Now, I prefer because of the way that we've done business forever here, Heather. Yeah. I prefer you just tell me what's the real deal. (laughs) Yeah. It's way easier that way. Yes. And yet I have to go through all this contortionism to be able to sell a freaking property. It's ridiculous. And we're doing the same thing right now. We're making an offer on a property and we're offering a, such a stupid low amount for this property. I mean, I hope they accept it, but <laughs> I, I, man, I can't believe they would. So we're just, so we're, so we can quote, start the negotiations. I would prefer they just go, look, this is what the property is. This is my bottom line. Take it or leave it. I would so much more respect that. Totally agree. And being the agent on those is awful too, because you're you're not a mind reader. I mean, you can make an educated guess, but you're not a mind reader. You can't even do that if you make an educate. So here's the way this works, right? With the offer counteroffer thing. Let's say the property is $100,000, right? You want to buy it for $100,000. Yeah. It's on the market for whatever, (laughs) $125,000. I have to make an offer at like 80. And I want to buy it at 100. It would be nice if I just went in and said, hey, listen, I'll, I'll buy the thing for $100,000. Done. But nobody's done. Like if you do that, they're like, no, I, I have to be able to counter. Mm-hmm. Well, I'd prefer to just go in and go, this is what I'll pay. And mm-hmm. we're not going to really negotiate with anything else. Or I'd, what I'd really prefer is that they come to me and go, you know what? We'll take 100. Yeah. Wouldn't yeah. life be much more easy if that was what? That is the structure that we've built. So if yes. you come into this structure that we've built and you get frustrated, just understand the other structure's worse. 100% worse. worse. Especially worse. in this in the seller's market too. It's not even it's ridiculous. I mean, having to compete against seven buyers and highest and best and all of that stuff, we don't play any of those games. We just have one buyer. Yep. And there's, and we've already negotiated with us. So Heather's negotiating on something and I don't even know what she's negotiating on. That's fantastic. Yeah. You're going to love it. Love it. (laughs) Anyway, we've got these single family homes apparently. So I guess, spoiler alert, if we don't get these out before Monday, then I guess you guys will be the first to know that we've got these seven houses that are coming. So if you want one, you might want to speak up. Anyway, we got these houses 
And we actually got the bottom number. We know what the bottom number yeah. is. And the only reason we got the bottom number is because we've done deals with this person before. And mm -hmm. because of that, they know how it works. We don't have to play the stupid game. I know it's how a, much money he's stupid making. Game. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it's a reasonable amount. Yes. It's actually, to me, I'm like feeling a little bad, but I'm like, well, if you're willing to pocket that, then I guess it's, it's but he's, but see these guys, the people who work with us, who build, they understand that this is, I mean, what we're currently in the market structure that we're currently in, isn't going to last very long. And this is a long-term play because they can keep yep. cranking these things out and the clients will still keep buying them and because they're giving them good deals and that's the name of the game. So I don't know. There's such a difference between the two. They're not even fair comparisons. And so coming into this world and expecting a rental property sale to be identical to a primary residence sale, it's a bad expectation. It just is. Yep. I, I agree. We, we didn't even talk about the fact that there's another person involved in the transaction, which is the, the renter that you don't even have involved in the other transactions. There's an, there's an additional body that is, has a contract mm -hmm. that's not even a part of this, not to mention yeah. that there's property management companies and some other things, but all of that said, the structure of both deals are pretty much identical. You're going to have a contract. There's going to be a title company. There's probably a lender involved. There's probably an appraisal involved. Mm -hmm. All of the things that you would normally see, there's just a slight difference. And for some people, it really freaks them out for whatever reason. So hopefully this helps you understand you don't need to freak out. It is different. It just is. That's right. I love it. I think what we do is way more fun than retail. So I would never oh. be able to enjoy retail, but because <laughs> nope. we haven't talked about necessarily the selling in a retail market versus selling to an investor, but we can have that conversation. Well, another we day. kind of did because the person <laughs> I was just talking to was so frustrated. She's like, I mean, they were all under contract oh, and none true. of them closed. And I'm like, well, then welcome to the retail world. I mean, get... oh, yeah. Exactly. I have a bunch of those right now. And it really is frustrating. It really is frustrating. They ask for everything. Like everything has to be fixed and perfect. And it has to be perfect before they close. And I'm just like, oh, shoot me now. What is wrong <laughs> with you people? I don't like dealing with retail buyers. I can tell you that. I don't. I would prefer to sell everything to investors. You guys are way easier to work with than retail buyers. Way Amen. Mm -hmm. So anyway, hopefully that helps out. Did we miss anything, Heather? I'm sure we did. No, I think, well, true. I'm like, oh, we're both self-assured. Oh yeah, that was great. No problem. No, we <laughs> we awesome. missed nothing. <laughs> I, it. You know what the easiest thing that I have just recently began to love? The easiest what? thing to close is notes. It's buying the debt because it's still cash flows. It's still backed by real estate and there's no nonsense you just buy it. Yeah. That's it. You just buy and it's it. It's fast and easy. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and no crazy loan closing costs. Oh gosh. And anyway, yeah. we're going to do, we'll, we'll do an episode on notes very soon. We'll have my buddy on and we'll do an episode on notes and you'll, oh. you'll start to understand what I'm talking about. That these mortgages yeah. that you can buy, like it's just, oh, it's so much That's easier. True. We are going to have it in a Facebook live. So if you have questions about notes, you really should reach out and make sure you're in our Facebook group so that you can ask them live. 
to the person who mm-hmm. set up this whole structure of how to buy notes and make it mm-hmm. easy. So I mean, you should be in out. the Facebook group anyway. And if you're True. not, you should just get on there and just be a part of it. So because, True. It's, because it's that cool. We interview clients in there. We don't post those obviously here with the podcast all the time with client interviews, but we have a client every month that we pick as the power player of the previous month and uh, interview them about how they've overcome hurdles. It's not necessarily a power player. Sounds like they're just buying a whole lot and it doesn't necessarily mean that. It just means that they're not willing to be held back, that they're moving forward. They're living their vision. One power player in a previous month was overcoming obstacles like with COVID. And yeah, they were legit (laughs) obstacles too. I was like, man, I was impressed. They didn't give up because they were, they were pretty intense actually. Yes. Very impressive person who overcame all that stuff. I was, and the cool thing is I heard about that when we put them on the Facebook group. I mean, I, I yeah. knew some of the challenges, but I didn't know all of that stuff. That was crazy. Everything yeah. they went through to, to buy a property it was it was it was intense. Yeah. Well, listen, I hope that helps, guys. And if you have any questions about the structure or anything like that, if we didn't cover it, let us know. If you have a topic that you want us to cover, let us know because we will cover it. That's well, right. maybe we might. <laughs> if it's a we'll horrible probably, idea, we will not. We'll probably cover it. <laughs> if it's a horrible idea, we'll just let you know that it was really a horrible idea. Don't email us horrible ideas. Don't. We appreciate you guys. The best thing you can do for us is to share the podcast. If you like it, give us a thumbs up. Give us a written, a written thumbs up. That's the best way to do it. Give us a review of the show. Honest review, honest feedback. We love it. And until next week, God, there make something happen. This has been the Get Real Podcast. To subscribe and for more information, including a list of all episodes, go to getrealestatesuccess.com.